The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roll Pod, an Alabama sports podcast from Bama 247. I am staff writer Cody Goodwin, and as always, I'm glad you're here. We've got more good news on today's show. We're going to discuss a little men's basketball after Alabama's big 79-75 win over number eight-ranked Auburn on Wednesday night at Coleman. We're going to have fellow staff writer Mike Rodak in the second half of today's show to talk about that game, what it means moving forward, what it does to the SEC, all sorts of basketball talk there on the back half of the show. But in the first half of today's show, we're going to talk more recruiting with our very own Brett Greenberg. Brett, you seem to be the bearer of good news lately with all these recruiting updates. I feel like some people on our board got really annoyed at us for writing up every single transfer portal departure. (laughs) And then you just kind of sweep in and make them happy again with each new commitment. And there's two pretty big ones that Alabama landed this week. Yeah, absolutely. I think we talked about it whatever days ago it was just kind of, been pretty nice to be able to kind of hey you know here's what i'm hearing it come you know to fruition or be truthful a couple hours later but yeah you know it's kind of a alabama fans are feeling nice i don't know if you noticed i got a haircut i shaved it's kind of a <laughs> the Jabor <laughs> era and full full swing but yeah you you mentioned it right there certainly uh some massive massive news i mean i can't overstate how big of news alabama fans got and coach DeBoer got last night with you know earning that recommitment of ryan williams we've talked about him at nauseum on this and most alabama fans have followed him through you know since his sophomore year but it, you can't overstate how big of a deal this is for so many different reasons you know you look at ryan williams a guy's committed to alabama for nearly a year i think it was over a year uh and then you know nick saban retires it seems like that graphic was ready to go you know within seconds he decommits and it kind of seems like you, you know people you talk to and around it's like all right, Auburn, you know, has done a great job. And now with Nick Saban retired, it kind of seems like it was slipping away from Alabama. But, you know, Coach DeBoer, Coach Shepard, get him on campus for an unofficial visit during the week. Was told that went extremely well. Relay that, you know, to our Bama subscribers as well. Got him back on campus for that weekend. So that was kind of a, not a telling sign that this was going to happen, but it was a good sign that, you know, hey, I had this meeting. I'm going to come back and I'm going to take my full official visit. Uh, most people saw that. Uh, commitment video certainly a lot of time and production and uh, money spent into that video is certainly very cool to see but yeah you know you talk to some people uh, in and around the recruitment uh, it it seems like it was one of those things that in the middle of the week it seemed like hey I I think I want to come here I I was you know told I needed here I think I trust him enough and then that official visit kind of wrapped it up so to speak and you know we saw that you know three days later he he recommits and then a couple hours later bama 247 is able to confirm you know through a source as well that he shuts down his recruitment i know that was kind of the you know i put the good news on the board and everybody's you know excited and then you know i knew the question was coming you know a couple you know minutes later is you know is he going to visit auburn and you know i had put on the board you know i initial gut reaction is i don't think just the way the commitment was made and things like that i just didn't really anticipate him going to check out auburn uh turns out that's you know he's not going to he's gonna you know he's shutting down his recruitment um which is just again gigantic news for kalen DeBoer. we're still trying to figure out if he still plans to sign on february 9th uh he can sign as early as february 7th so it'll be interesting 
uh, to see what he does there. But, you know, one note I want to make clear is he is going to be a summer enrollee. You know, whether he signs on the 7th, 8th, or the 9th, uh, he will not be able to enroll until the summer. Uh, and then the second guy is a guy who just uh, committed. So we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, just a few minutes ago. Me and Cody just hopped on immediately. Uh, Noah Carter, four-star edge out of Peoria, Peora, Arizona. Um, a guy, you know, number number eight ranked edge in the country was uh, signed with Washington. Uh, kind of shows you relationship he has with Coach Kalen DeBoer. Immediately got out of or started to get out of his release or release from his NIL, excuse me. NLI, excuse me. <laughs> it's been a long couple of days. Uh, and, you know, set an official visit immediately, went to Tuscaloosa, had, you know, kind of relayed on the board. It's since that coaching change, it seemed like Alabama was going to be the team to be in that official visit. You know, they very comfortable with the coaching staff, obviously, and relationships and things like that. But it was kind of trip to check out the University of Alabama, check out campus, check out, you know, the facilities and things like that. And, you know, understandably and rightfully so, the family was pretty uh, blown away by everything. Um, it was told, you know, I put it on the board a couple of days ago, it was going to happen any day now. So we anticipated this, you know, we, we knew Alabama was going to be a team to beat there and coach DeBoer, you know, again, uh, kind of showing his recruiting chops. I know it is in the South, but uh, you know, two more commitments, that's now five total. And if you take a look at, you know, that first visitors weekend, everyone he had on campus has uh, committed to the university of Alabama. You include Austin Mack who showed up right after his commitment. And the only guy that, you know, you kind of, waiting for is Jabbar Muhammad. So I know I rambled on a little bit there, but you can't, you can't really overstate these two commitments and certainly not Ryan Williams. A lot that we're going to get into um, when it comes to recruiting on today's show, you obviously hit on the, the Williams and the Noah Carter commitments. Um, I think it was important also to note that, you know, of those initial visitors, everybody so far has committed for coach Kalen DeBoer. We'll touch on that too. Cause I think that's kind of interesting that he was able to, um, you know, of, of the many big questions about him when he got hired by Alabama was just his recruiting chops, recruiting yep. in the South. What is that going to be like? Is he going to be able to retain, you know, is, is he going to be able to recruit the same level of dudes that Nick Saban just stockpiled year after year after year? And, you know, Alabama, you know, not only did they have the coaching advantage because of Saban and his staff, but they also just had the overall talent advantage. Um, so we'll get into that a little bit, just kind of what these two commitments mean for um, Kalen DeBoer, but I did want to ask you a little bit more about Ryan Williams. We know this is a big deal, right? He's a five-star. Yep. He's one of those dudes that was, you know, top two or three overall players in his class. And that was before he reclassified um, from the 25 class to the 24 class, still very much considered one of those dudes. I believe he's number eight overall pound for pound prospect in the 2024 class. Um, you know, just electrifying playmaker um, from Sarah land right here in Alabama. Um, he's had a tremendous, remarkable prep career. Um, there's a lot of talent evaluators that I know you talk to that are very, very high on this guy, like not just as an overall prospect, but as a guy who could probably step in and be a day one type of game changer. We're going to touch on that in a little bit, but I'm curious, Brad, just from your, everybody you've talked to about this Ryan Williams, um, recruitment. Um, and you kind of hit on it a little bit too. He took his visit. He was blown away by his visit. He got to know the staff. Um, you know, that seemed like to be the nail in the coffin, but what were, what were some of kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff? Like what was it about this staff? What did they do to really reel Ryan Williams back in? There's a lot to like about this staff and what they do offensively, but just take us behind the scenes a little bit. What did this staff do extra to get this guy back to Tuscaloosa? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, you know, good, great question there. I'm still trying to get in touch with Ryan right now. I'm sure his phone, I'm, you know, a thousandth in line or whatever it may be trying to get in touch with his wide receiver coach to try to better answer those questions. So I don't want to get too, too much into the details, but yeah, I think you kind of hit on there and I hit on it a little bit as well. I think it's just a true testament to, I think, you know, coach DeBoer and certainly coach Shepard, the wide receiver coach in particular, you know, I was talking with Steve Wiltfong, uh, head of your know, director recruiting at 247. He kind of carried that same message. It just shows that, you know, the staff comes across the country and is, you know, priority one is retaining the roster and priority number two is, you know, getting Ryan Williams back in the fold. And you could, people could argue vice versa for that, quite honestly, with just the prospect he is, you talk about it right there. But, you know, I, I think Shepard got, you know, his trust very quickly and has shown, you know, Ryan Williams has probably seen the production of wide receiver talent and things like that to go through their offense. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have too, too much more to add on that. I'm hoping to have more on Bama two two four seven later on today or later this week. But yeah, again, I, I to you know come across the country and get into a recruitment that you know many people felt was you know kind of a lost cause. You know, quite frankly, just with the way Auburn was coming on, the way Hugh Freeze and that staff had been 
you know, recruiting really well from the jump and got in on Ryan Williams. And, you know, Ryan had some fun on social media the last couple months, uh, made my life and other people's lives a little bit difficult. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, the kid's 16, great kid comes from a great family. Talk to him all the time. He's a, he's a great, great kid. Uh, but yeah, I, I just, you know, for recruitment that people thought were is gone for them to get him back so quickly and shut it down is just, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah. And I think this, this kind of speaks a little bit to one Kalen DeBoer's recruiting chops, right there. Like we mentioned before, if you were going to have a knock on this guy as the guy to follow Nick Saban in Alabama, it was probably going to be his recruiting track record. It wasn't great. Um, you know, at least on paper, they did find a way almost all the time to get talent into their room. Um, you know, but just the, the track record of getting five-star guys, right? Because you get, you need dudes to win. Right. And, and Ryan Williams, I believe is a certified dude. Um, you know, that just hasn't happened, right? Like it just hasn't happened on paper. They've gone through the portal and gotten other guys. And, you know, they've done one thing this staff really does do really well is one, the X's and O's on the football field. Like they're just great play callers and they understand the game very well, um, especially offensively. But then two, like they find a way to develop their guys too. And I'm sure that that probably appealed to Ryan Williams as well. Like not only are you coming in a five-star guy who's probably going to get the opportunity to play pretty early and pretty often, even though he's only going to be a summer enrollee, um, you know, this is a guy that is going to get better now that he's in this program, right? Jamarcus Shepard has done really, really well at Washington with Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, even Jeremy Bernard so much that Bernard transferred a second time in as many years to go, you know, Michigan State to Washington, spent a year at Washington with those guys. And now he's down here in Tuscaloosa to be with those guys, right? Um, you got an OC like Ryan Grubb, who really great at the X's and O's, and he's going to find a way to get his superstar guys the ball in space. What really intrigues me about this, and I'm kind of curious to see what you think or maybe what you've heard just from the recruiting side of things. First off, Ryan Williams, not the biggest dude, like 6'1", 170. I'd like to see him maybe get in the weight room and bulk up a little bit. Um, but two, um, and I, I wrote about this for Bama 247, just kind of roster analysis. What does Ryan Williams add to the receiver room? He adds a lot of talent, right? Like that's that's not the obvious that's that's the obvious part of this but two like with the new regime coming in with the way that they run their offense um and the fact that alabama you know they they kind of replaced um you know some of their big losses at receiver right i mean jermaine burton's head of the nfl isaiah bond is headed to texas amari nye black was tight end but like he was the number three pass catching option for alabama's offense last year those three guys are gone the top returning guy is kobe prentice who you know 18 catches, 200 yards, two touchdowns. Jeremy Bernard was productive in this offense that Alabama is probably going to at least attempt to run next year. And so what makes me really interesting, intrigued, I guess, is just there's a lot of talent in this Alabama receiver room, right? Prentice, Ryan Williams, um, Jalen Hales there, Bernard transferred in. Um, you got some Kendrick incoming Law. recruits. Yeah, Kendrick Law's there. You've got other incoming recruits like Aaron Hampton, uh, Rico Scott, Amari Jefferson. Um, I'm kind of curious to see what you know who's going to emerge into what role what's the offense going to look like here's some fun numbers some more fun numbers from washington's offense last year keep um, it coming cody washington threw the ball 574 times last season um that was the second most of any program in the country um there i think there was one school that threw it 577 times so right there like tops in the country that equates to about 38 pass attempts per game um so then you look at some of the number breakdown of just like, okay, they're going to throw the ball a lot. Nine skill guys uh, recorded double-digit catches for the Huskies last year. Six guys recorded 20 catches, and four guys recorded 40 or more catches. So they're going to spread the ball out. A lot of guys are going to get a lot of different touches. And so what's really interesting to me is just – who are those guys going to be for Alabama next year, right? Is it going to be Kobe Prentice? Is it going to be, you know, Emmanuel Henderson Jr. that guys really like, but he just hasn't really gotten a lot of playing time? Is it going to be more Kendrick Law? Is it going to be Jalen Hale? Is it going to be Ryan Williams? Like, there's a lot of different chess pieces here, and that's before you even get to, like, the tight ends, right? Because for Washington last year, Jack Westover um, was the fourth receiving option for them, and he was a tight end. Um, that's before you get to the running backs, Jam Miller, Justice Haynes, um, you know, Dylan Johnson and – um, their other running back last year for Washington, trying to find his name right now, Will Nixon. Those guys combined those two together for 40 receptions. So, like, this is an offense that uses a lot of different guys, uses all the chess pieces that they have. And now you're putting them, you're putting that staff with Alabama skill guys. Like, 
how are they going to use him? I don't know yet. We may not know until the spring, but like, I'm very excited just when you add in Ryan Williams, when you add in Jeremy Bernard, when you have, you know, the tight ends, the running backs, all the other receivers, there's a lot of fun toys to play with here if you're Ryan Grubb. And I'm just very curious to see how they're going to put it all together. Yeah, I mean, all great points there. I think, you know, for starters, it's a probably a good problem to have. You know, it's yes, kind of, absolutely. A, you know, you talk, and, you talk with a couple of national analysts yesterday as well and kind of pose that same question, like you just said. It's kind of an embarrassment of riches, kind of, you know, not only at the coaching staff, but on the field as well. I mean, just between Shepard and Grubb, and Gillespie and DeBoer, the offensive minds in the meetings is, is it's going to be remarkable. But, you know, I, I asked him how Ryan Williams kind of fits in here. And, and like you said, we don't know yet. We won't know until, you know, the summer when he gets there. And, you know, you mentioned uh, he needs to put on some weight. They, you know, that both guys I talked to kind of mentioned that, I, you know, wouldn't, if you're an Alabama fan, be too worried about the strength and conditioning program. I think it's proved itself time and time again. I don't think it's going to be any issue weight wise for Ryan, you know, maybe a couple months or things like that, but you know, that's just natural progression getting to college. And, you know, he's also coming a year early, but as far as, yeah, who's going to fit in where it's an interesting question. I think one, we're probably going to be talking about uh, from now until maybe even game one, you know, he talked about, you know, Ryan Williams in high school was, uh, yeah, that go-to receiver, downhill threat. But he was also getting, you know, some wildcat option plays. He was getting kick return or punt return. I asked that question, is that going to be able to translate to the college level? And it was kind of a resounding yes. You know, maybe you get him involved as a freshman in the return game uh, and let's him get, get him a little bit acclimated and things like that. And then I was also talking about pre-snap motion and things like that. And you, you watch the Washington game, the amount of pre-snap motion that Roma Dunze did uh, you know, lining up behind the backfield in motion and get in the slot, come back outside the numbers, whatever it may be. It's just very similar. And it seems like that could, that's how they're going to try to use Ryan Williams. And again, you know, I said at the beginning of this response, but it's, it's a certainly a very good problem to have. If you're a, an Alabama fan, if you're an Alabama offense coordinator, and, you know, I think it'll sort itself out through spring between, you know, all those receivers. And again, you mentioned the guys you, le you who left, but, you know, a week later, it's it's still a pretty, pretty good it's a very receiver good roster. Room. It's a very yeah. good receiver room. Yeah, yeah, no, there's, you know, just I, that's one of the perks of, you know, following a guy like Nick Saban. There's a lot of pressure there, but one of the perks of following a guy like Nick Saban is that you inherit a roster that you lose a couple of guys, but you still got some four and five star guys in the room, like chomping at the bit, ready to stick around in this offense. And even DeBoer said himself, he was on the Pat McAfee show on Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, these guys are excited about the opportunity. They watched us because we were on a lot of national television last yeah. season. Like they're ready. Like they're excited about, you know, the opportunity that's in front of them. And, you know, he said they'll sort out roles probably through the spring and even the summer a little bit, but you know, a lot of the skill guys that are sticking around, they're, they're pretty pumped. A couple final notes that I wanted to get to before we move on to, um, you know, because I wanted to talk about Noah Carter as well. Um, you know, one of the one of the guys you uh, talked to um, just in terms of what Alabama's getting in Ryan Williams, I thought it was really cool that one of them made the comp to Devonta Smith, right? Heisman Trophy winning receiver for Alabama because Ryan Williams seems like he's one of those guys, and you were kind of alluding to it too. Um, this is an athlete that you get him the ball in space and you let him go do his thing. And if there's one thing that Washington is really good at last year, um, and we say Washington because DeBoer and Grubb and all those guys are now on Alabama staff, they were very good about making sure Adunze got the ball in space, making sure Polk got the ball in space, making sure McMillan and Dylan Johnson got the ball in space. So kind of excited to see what they do, um, you know, with Ryan Williams, with Kobe Prentice, with Jeremy Bernard, Kendrick Law, all those guys, um, going to be an exciting offense to watch and follow. The other final note that I wanted to make a point of, um, for those of you who may be worried that Alabama might be throwing the ball a little too much, um, Washington's running back last year, Dylan Johnson, their lead running back, yes. finished with about 1,200 rushing yards last year, which was second in the Pac-12. He also scored 16 rushing touchdowns last year, which led the Pac-12. So for those of you that are really excited about potentially seeing Justice Haynes in this offense, um, thumbs up, man. Like He's going to get his touches. He's going to be able to run. I A lot of people are going to benefit from this offense if they really do try to do a one-for-one -one switch from Washington to, to Alabama. Um, there's a lot to like about this offense. There's a lot of opportunity for all the skill guys. Um, so whether you like throwing the ball 40 times a game or even running the ball 40 times a game, um, I think this offense is going to have a little something for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. You hit it right on there. And just a couple quick notes before we turn the page to basketball. You know, uh, as always, we've got extended coverage 
of you know the latest on the recruiting trail on the Bama 247 boards. Got continued coverage of Ryan Williams. Just got a bunch of Noah Con- Noah Carter content up there. Uh, actually spoke with a Birmingham-based trainer Thursday morning, and you know he met with Coach DeBoer for a couple hours earlier this week. He just gave me some really interesting perspective, just from an established Birmingham-based trainer who's you know he's trained twenty-plus Alabama guys, so he's very familiar with the program. So just very interesting angle and how he thinks Kalen DeBoer is going to fit and. You know, the response is pretty good. And, you know, also the responses I'm getting from around the country and talking with, you know, trainers and parents and and high school coaches and kids and things like that. I, I think Alabama fans have a lot to be excited about. I think Caleb DeWard knocked uh, the coaching staff out of the park so far on the field. And it seems to be the same case for the recruiting trail as well. 100%. Before I let you go, Brett, wanted to talk a little bit about Noah Carter, uh, 6'4", 220-pound edge defender. Um, even though Nick Saban is no longer the coach, Alabama seems to continue to stockpile edge defenders. Um, we're going to throw him in the mix there as well. Be kind of interesting to see if he stays in edge. I know that he was a pretty freak athlete in high school. He played receiver, um, very productive there. Um, obviously he's coming in as an edge, but it seems like he did a little bit of everything on the front seven for that defense. Um, kind of curious, just from your perspective, one, what, what do you think he's ultimately going to bring to the program? And two, um, what's interesting, I think about Noah Carter is you hit on it too, at the beginning, he originally signed with Washington. Um, as soon as DeBoer gets announced as Alabama's head coach, he gets released from his national letter of intent, comes down here for a visit, commits, says a lot. I think, um, this is the second part too, um, says a lot about Caleb DeBoer's ability to, you know, not just recruit really good players. He's a four-star, um, but also, you know, just form those relationships to the point that kids are going to want to follow this dude. I think that was also, you know, lost in the Ryan Williams commitment, um, you know, fun. Um, you know, he just pulled this kid from all the way across the country, you know, a kid that was going to originally play for him at Washington. I think that's also, you know, hey, speaks to Caleb DeBoer's recruiting chops quite a bit. Yeah, I answer that first one uh, first, or Second one first, excuse me. Yeah, I, again, you know, I think I kind of sound like a broken record here, but again, everyone you talk to, it's, it carries the same thing. He's a genuine dude. You know, I was talking with that Birmingham trainer today, and he was telling me, he's like, hey, <laughs> the first thing he said to me was, you know, introduce himself and say, hey, give me your phone and put the personal phone number in there. You know, he stressed to him that, you know, one thing I found interesting is with, you know, the Nick Saban staff, how they would recruit. And I think I've talked about this before on here is kind of uh, regionally. So like each coach would have, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina, you know, the Texas, the Midwest and so on and so forth. Uh, and Caleb DeBoer, I had heard about it and, you know, I keep hearing more and more about it. So it seems like it's the case. It's very clearly a big point of emphasis to not have one guy on one recruit. Um, things can always happen. Things, you know, coaching changes could happen, whatever that may be. And that also helps you, you know, create more relationship. And what, if that guy does get on campus and, you know, he commits and he commits to a coach and then he leaves, he's got other relationships. So I thought that was a very interesting thing. And that kind of just backs up his, he seems like he's a really, really genuine guy. And I think, you know, Alabama fans are in good hands. And then, you know, the first part with Noah Carter, uh, I, I think it's a fair question. I don't know where he's going to end up. I think, you know, there's a lot of question marks, I think, with Alabama's defense, just with the new scheme that Kane Womack is going to run. Was it that's the 4-2-5? I think it is. I think we know, mm-hmm. you know, we know the 4-2-5 with, you know, the linebackers going to be Deontay Lawson, Jihad Campbell. There's, but there's going to be some shaking and moving around. It's going to be a defense that Alabama fans haven't seen and a lot of those players haven't run maybe ever. So it's going to be very interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he ends up more of the outside linebacker. Uh, role kind of similar to the other early enroll or signing, excuse me, Jason Ross out of Kansas City, Missouri. He was that two sport athlete, kind of similar weight, uh, played both sides of the ball. It's going to be very interesting to see how it all all shakes out. But you know, got a lot of trust in the coaches uh, to see how that all shakes out. And Freddie Roach knows what he's doing there. And again, kind of can't really speak to how big it was to retain a guy like him and Robert Gillespie just based off conversations I've been having all you know last two weeks. Hundred percent. Be interesting to see uh, where uh, Noah Carter fits into the mix here. Um, just going to be really interesting. A lot of things still worth following here when it comes to Alabama and this coaching transition. Um, you know, it seems like all the transfer portal exodus has quieted down a little bit. So it sounds like we're going to be talking to Brett a lot more, um, if only because he seems to continue to bring in the good news if you're an Alabama fan. So I know that the late signing period. Uh, only a couple weeks out at this point, probably less than a couple weeks out at this point. So we'll be sure to circle back with Brett again next week to discuss a little bit more recruiting. We're going to take a short break right now, and then we're going to invite on Mike Rodak to talk some Alabama basketball um, after their big win over Auburn on Wednesday night.
Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Now we're here welcomed uh, with Mike Rodak to talk a little bit of basketball. But first, Mike um, had a really good conversation on the recruiting side of the football things with Brett, just about Ryan Williams and where the program's at. And he seems to be the bearer of good news. I was joking with him, um, you know, and how for a long time this month, you know, we were all writing about all these guys that are entering the portal. Then he brings in the good news of guys that are joining the program. Do you have any thoughts about just – you know, the way Kalen DeBoer has gone about uh, retaining most of the roster um, now that he's got a really big recruiting win, I guess two big recruiting wins with Ryan Williams and Noah Carter. Just any other football thoughts before we uh, jump into a hoops conversation? Yeah, you know, I think the last show that I did was with Talty and you, and that was kind of in the thick of everybody leaving. And, um, you know, at that point, even after who was, I guess, the last guy to go in, was it Sand? or yeah. Grimsley, those two basically. Yeah. And even after that, you're still thinking, all right, there's probably some more guys that are going to leave. And um, to this point, it hasn't happened. And I think even though there is, I think, two weeks left or so on, you know, the 30-day window, the deeper you get into the semester, I think the more, less likely it becomes that a guy's going to leave. So I would say at this point, it's probably fairly, not maybe 100% safe, but almost, you know, 100% safe to say that they're good as far as the Saban window. Um, but April 16th will still come quickly. And, um, you know, I think once guys get into spring practice, which will start in the middle of March, and um, they kind of see where they fit in the system, and the coaches kind of see where they fit, I'm sure, like, pretty much guarantee it, that there's going to be some guys that leave at that point, you know, after the spring semester. And that's a little bit easier academically as well, you know, to have a summer um, transfer. So, I would expect more movement out in April. Now I'd also expect more movement in. And um, obviously at at this point, you know, I I think the only name that's really left on the board that maybe there's some thought of Alabama still getting in on in the portal is, is Jabbar Muhammad, the the corner from Washington who's very good player visited Alabama last weekend, visited Texas, um, but is now visiting Oregon. So um, it seems to be trending towards Oregon. Obviously if, you know, if Alabama was really the favorite, they'd probably have him by now. Um, and he wouldn't be taking other visits. So, um, and he's not, even though it is a Washington connection for DeBoer, it's not really his coaching staff. I mean, it's a completely different um, secondary coach, both secondary coaches that Alabama's hired and, and Mo Linguist and um, Colin Hitchler and, you know, different coordinators. So that connection, I don't think is is worth quite as much as it would be, you know, in a different scenario. So, uh, Muhammad's a big one, but other than that, we heard DeBoer, you know, on the radio or on uh, the McAfee show this week and was basically saying, you know, it's not a lot of guys out there because it's only the guys who just went into the portal uh, because of coaching change. So maybe there's a few at Michigan. I, as we were just talking about, I, I tend to doubt it. Um, you know, Sharon Moore is the most likely candidate as we sit here on Friday morning to take over. So um, it, that also doesn't cause a trickle down effect elsewhere. I know people thought, you know, Brian Kelly would become the coach of Michigan and when LSU <laughs> players become available. I don't really expect that. So point being, there's not, there's not you know, the, basically that first wave of the portal in December and early January, that's been picked over. There's not yeah. really anybody left. That's a starting caliber SEC player. Um, and then this wave of coaching changes, I think mostly has been picked over and then we really have to wait to that April period. But right now they sit, if you count the three guys that are going to sign in February, Ryan Williams, Noah Carter, and Quentin Reese, they're at 82. So, you know, to add guys right now, there's there's not a ton of space. Um, 
and you might lose some guys in, in April, and that might allow you to bring in some more guys. But point being, right now, I think things are pretty slow, or at least slowing down. You know, the coaching staff is mostly together. Um, again, the roster is probably stable for the next two months, and um, I think we're all welcoming a little bit of a more quiet period in terms of transactional news here. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think and the good thing about the April window and you touched on this, too, is, you know, they'll have gone through spring practices. Um, you know, we know that they're light at offensive tackle. We know that they maybe lack a little bit of experience at, at defensive back, specifically cornerback. We know that there's a lot of talented guys there, but they're all really young. Um, so come April, they're going to be looking at those two positions specifically. They're probably going to be looking at some other, um, you know, players that come available. Right. Just to, you know kind of you know hey like who's there let's take a peek let's see what we can do um there will probably be a few more departures so they'll have to probably try and plug those holes um but the good news is like when it comes to april like that's you know alabama more or less missed out on the big december window just because of the timing of Saban's right. retirement so um in april um everything will mostly be square for the most part so we'll kind of see what happens and, and monitor we'll keep an eye on that um I was going to say they've kept Justice Haynes and they've kept Keon Keeley, which I think are the two big ones that we were looking out for in terms of five-star talents that would command um, a lot of money on the open market. And to this point, they've kept both, which I think is a pretty big win for DeBoer so far. Yeah, it's a big shout out to uh, Robert Gillespie and Freddie Roach because of the two biggest positions I think you haven't really seen a lot of turnover, running back and defensive line. Who do, what you know? What positions do those guys coach? Right, like two really key guys on that staff to retain it. So they have a really talented, I think, I think running back room, and then obviously kept all that depth in the defensive line room that's expected to come back too. Plus, I think we just saw, I think it was you know yesterday Thursday evening, uh, t- big Tim Keenan um, basically posted a video. I don't know if that was him or his dad, but they posted a video that made it seem like you know, hey, he's locked in and, and ready to return for another year so that's that's a really big piece of Alabama's defensive middle he's done a few Um, it it seems like he did one before Saban left and another one after Saban left (laughs) he's really confirmed that he is back Tim Keenan is back for another year that's good news for Alabama's defensive line more good news for um hoops Alabama men's basketball program really big win this week um kind of their one big win so far this season 79 75 over number eight Auburn going to talk some hoops here on the back end of this podcast. Um, A lot of impressive things about this game on Wednesday, I thought. The crowd, first and foremost. um, NATO sent out out the bat signal and the crowd delivered, especially the student section. But also, Alabama led by 14 at half. Four players scored in double figures. Mark Sears was Mark Sears. Um, Latrell Wrightsell got the start, scored 14. Grant Nelson, slow first half, ended up with a double-double. Rylan Griffin hit five threes. What was kind of the most impressive part about that game on Wednesday, just from your perspective, Mike? Yeah, I think, you know, to build a lead as they did, which they've done against other good teams this year. I mean, they led by, I don't think it was double digits, but they led Arizona by a decent amount. I think they led Creighton in the second half. Um, They were right there with Purdue the whole game. So to build that lead and not give it up, to lose at least, uh, was at least an accomplishment. They did give it up. They had a 14-point halftime lead. Uh, that got down to a tied game. Auburn, I think, yeah, took the lead briefly late in the game, uh, but they won. And so that, I think, was really what you know Nate was looking for. And we heard him, you know, pretty um, aggressively challenge his players this week and um, try to get them, hey, I, you guys need to show it. When a game's on the line against a really good team, you need to figure out a way to win. And they hadn't done that, you know, really five times so far this year, um, Tennessee, Creighton, Arizona, Purdue, Clemson, Ohio State, you can add a sixth. Um, so to show it at least once, I think kind of gives them um, the confidence that they can do it again. I think the biggest player that sort of led that recharge was was Grant Nelson because Grant, quite frankly, has been a, dis- a disappointment so far this year in terms of a transfer from North Dakota State. I think everybody can agree that what we've seen from Grant Nelson against higher-level competition so far this year has not been what people expected, which was an all-SEC type of player um, and just hasn't shot the ball very well, You know, has has been soft around the rim, rim sometimes, his defense has been suspect sometimes. So, And that was true even in the first half of that Auburn game, and that was something where Rylan Griffin said he was on the bench and – kind of trying to get Grant Nelson going, saying, hey, we need you. You need to play better. And we saw it kind of at a critical moment. Grant Nelson had a huge offensive rebound. 
Um, had another one where he missed an open three and then ended up um, getting the basket underneath. I remember the exact, or got to remember the exact sequence there. And then there's another one where Mark Sears missed at the rim and then um, Grant came flying in and uh, got the putback. And all those points were, were pretty critical at that point. So you could sense it that like he, he needed to do something in that moment and it kind of gave everybody a jolt of energy. Um, so that was the biggest thing for me. Now it's just about carrying that forward because I mean, you still got to go to Kentucky. You still got to go to Auburn again. Um, you know, you still have to play Tennessee at home. So there's some big games left on this SEC schedule. If you want to win the conference and, um, you got to continue to show that you can beat good teams, not just a one-off thing with, like you said, a good crowd. Um, you got to be able to do it on the road as well. Yeah. Um, which kind of leads into my next question for you. Um, Alabama, I believe last few years, 49 and five at home, like very much a team that more often than not takes advantage of their home court advantage. Is this one of those things where, you know, they just caught Auburn on maybe a little bit of a cold night, what they shot five of 20 from three. Um, you know, I don't want to say they were rattled by the crowd a little bit, but clearly it took them a minute to get their energy going. Um, you know, they were able to tie it with four minutes left in the second half. Um, or is this something that like, could this be the the switch that flips for this Alabama team? Cause like you said, they've been close against, you know, Arizona, Creighton, Purdue. It seems like they just in those three games specifically played really well for like 30 or 35 minutes. And then they just kind of ran out of gas. They were able to put the finishing touches on this one. Is this just a matter of we're feeding off the energy of our home crowd? Or is this something that you think they could maybe carry with them through the rest of the SEC schedule? Both, to be honest, I think it was, <laughs> yeah, I think it is a kind of a, uh, I don't know, anomaly, but it is something that they've won these big games at home before against, I'm thinking Baylor a couple of years ago, that Baylor is a top 10 team. Um, the crowd gets into it, you know, and that's the thing. I think even the most ardent Alabama basketball fan will admit that the crowd doesn't really show up until middle, late January, you know, until after football season. Um, so, you know, sometimes it just takes getting everybody in the building like we had on, on Wednesday night. And that helps everything. I think even Grant Nelson mentioned that off the top of his press conference the other night and, you know, kind of asked, like, how do you carry this over? And Grant said, well, we need the crowd to show up. Like they did It would be nice if every home game was like that. <laughs> right. It's uh, It was kind of a subtle thing that, yeah, you guys need to show up some more. So, and that's just, look, that's just the fact of life at Alabama, I think. And maybe that changes in the future with, you know, the basketball football balance, but it's it's not a basketball school like this is not Michigan State you're not going to pack the building in November December it's not Kentucky it's not North Carolina it's not Duke so it's just the way it is and so now that they had a game like this and this is really their biggest home game they've had since Clemson Clemson was like 8 30 on a Tuesday night in December so um some of it's just expected and you are going to get it you know the crowd will show up in these Saturday February games at home um I got to pull up the schedule to know, remember exactly which ones those are. I know they play A&M at home in February. Um, obviously, Tennessee is coming, and that is a Saturday game well in March. You got Arkansas, which is um, underwhelming this year or underperforming uh, on a Saturday. And you have um, Mississippi State, you know, next weekend um, on a Saturday. So the crowd's going to show up for all those games. But at the same time, you have to make sure that's not just a one-off thing because this team in the past, and again, it's been different players, but they'll have a big win like this. And then they'll play as this team will next week, like Georgia on the road and just not show up because they don't have the energy that they had at home. So I, I think you have to feed off of it, but you can also make it not true where you're playing on the road. Like you are at home, even without the crowd. So it's just, it's up to them and it's up to them on what they want to show. If they want to play as hard as they did, in the five, last five minutes of that Auburn game for 40 minutes against LSU on Saturday night, then they'll make it true. Um, but I, I do think there sometimes is an element of just the crowd is there. Auburn was having a rough shooting night, as Nate said. I mean, they really, um, you know, were, I guess Alabama was fortunate, I think, was the, the way that Nate put it, that Auburn only shot 20% from three. And that's probably not going to happen when they go to Auburn arena or Neville arena now um, in two weeks. So we'll see. I don't know. It's, it's a team that I, I think I was starting to write off um, the first couple weeks of January. You see more and more of these data points. We were like, 
can't beat Tennessee, you know, can't beat, um, you know, the teams they had lost to before that. And you're just thinking, all right, maybe this team doesn't have it. And I think this starts to change my mind a little bit. Um, but again, there's big games that they still have to win here. Yeah. Well, and then you look ahead at their schedule, right? Upcoming, um, they play LSU on Saturday. They go to Georgia next week. Then they come back and host Mississippi State before they go to Auburn again. Those are their next four. And you also look at the SEC standings. I think that was the other maybe major takeaway from Wednesday night's win. They kind of brought Auburn back to the pack now. So you've got Auburn, Alabama, both at five and one. Tennessee sitting there at four and one. And then you've got kind of a mixture, South Carolina, Kentucky, Georgia, all at four and two. Um, and then you go back again and you look at Alabama's schedule. I know on the road at Georgia is a little eh, but you got two home games that sandwich that matchup with LSU, Mississippi State before you go back to Auburn. This is a nice little stretch here where I think Alabama could maybe help build their cushion a little bit if they want to keep pace with specifically Auburn, but also Tennessee. And, you know, Kentucky's a very, very good team this season. Like, I think there's an opportunity here maybe for them to take advantage um, part of that is probably showing up on the road against Georgia because they're going to get two of the next three at home. But um, what, I mean, what do you think about the state of the sec as we sit here in late January? And Georgia is a much better team than they have been. I mean, Mike White's really turned that thing around from where it was, um, you know, with Tom Crean. So um, it's, yeah, it's not a neat, that's going to be something that Nate would be talking about on Monday or on Tuesday when we talk to him before they go to Athens. Like that's, that's a better team than what we've seen in the past. Um, so that's a dangerous game. I mean, obviously going to Auburn might be their toughest SEC game of the year. Um, maybe even counting Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky's really good this year too, again. Um, and then you, you're already down a loss to Tennessee. So, look, I think there's a path for Alabama to win the SEC. It's going to take a lot. Uh, I don't know if this team has the same amount of capability as last year's team to do it. Um, you know, I think – Again, they're going to have to go on the road to Auburn. They're going to have to beat Tennessee at home. I think those are the two big ones. And even if they don't win the SEC regular season, their goal right now still needs to be to get a, a double bye. So top four seed. And and I think that's within reach after what they did. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's where you have to – all right, even if you lose to Auburn on the road, even if you lose to Tennessee again, even if you lose to Kentucky – you can still pick up a top four seed if you take care of everything else and, and beat Georgia on the road. Again, Ole Miss is better this year with Chris Beard, who's a really good coach. Um, and, you know, it's it's doable. I think absolutely doable to get a double by top four seed. Um, I think it's going to be tougher for them to win the SEC. And the SEC is better in my mind than it was last year. I think Auburn's better. Kentucky's better. Um Tennessee arguably is better. So um, there's a little bit more competition up there at the top than there was last year. Texas A&M that probably overachieved a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I think part of the equation to getting the double bye is you got to serve. You got to hold serve at home, right? That means winning on Saturday. That means winning next Saturday against Mississippi State. But you also get A&M at home. Probably need to win that one. Tennessee, I think, is maybe up in the air just because of how good and dominant they can be. But you may also have to steal a couple on the road. And I'm looking at the matchups at LSU, at Ole Miss. Yep. Um We'll see what Florida ends up becoming there in early March. But like those I'm kind of circling is like, okay, like you're, you're going to have to steal probably a few of those, um, you know, sir, hold serve at home. Like it's, it's a simple formula, hold serve at yeah. home, steal a couple on the road. But like, I don't know, Wednesday's win kind of opens the window as, as if to say, okay, like this, the double buy is doable with a, maybe a few extra breaks that can find themselves in contention for the top near, you know, early March. I think we'll still we'll we'll see how some of these other dominoes fall over the course of the season, but um, I don't know. Like very very encouraging result, um, but it's just a matter of what they do with it. Yeah, and it's it was a case of a team that a week or two ago was really looking like it was going to be Mark Sears or bust. Like if Mark Sears doesn't score twenty five or thirty, then you know you're not getting anything else. So um, they got maybe not more scoring from Grant Nelson. I think they got some more plays in in the clutch that they needed from him. I think they've gotten a little bit more from Jaron Stevenson. That's another thing that Nate's talked about. You know, the freshman who came in as basically a uh, high school senior. And, um, yeah, there's high expectations. I think Nate created some of them himself um, going into the year, kind of comparing him to Noah Clowney and what he did as a freshman last year. And that has not <laughs> been the case with Stevenson. Um, but he's starting to trend in the right direction these last couple games. And, um, you know, that could be a bigger piece. And, you know, Aaron Estrada has had some good games. I don't think Auburn was his best game. And Nate did make reference after that game to some players that um, still needed to step up. And, you know, the whole Medita thing that 
um, Patrick Murphy had talked to the team about and not having your best game, but still being happy for other people. I think Aaron Estrada was probably in that category. I think Nick Pringle was probably in that category. So uh, it's still a team that I think has some questions underneath the rim. It's still a team that, you know, they're Aaron Estrada and, and Grant Nelson, do they beat the best teams in the league? Um, I think Mark Sears has stepped his game up to where he's all SEC, clearly. Um, but they, they just need more players to consistently do really good things, which seems simple. But, um, again, it's just – it's not quite to the level that I think a lot of people expected to coming into this year. Yeah, and, and I think you can see a lot of the pieces, right, like just kind of how they're starting to maybe fit together more so on the offensive end because just this team is is going to put the ball in the hoop. It's a matter of maybe defensively, if, depending on how far they're going to go. But, I mean, if you'd have told me that Aaron Estrada would have gone 0 for 5, 0 for 2 from deep, a couple turnovers, a couple fouls, you know, way on the negative side of the plus minus, and they would still find a way to beat Auburn, I would have been like, all right, who's stepping up in his place? Then you look at Rylan Griffin, right? 17 points off the bench. Like they, you can see where the completeness of this team is coming together. And I just, I don't know that they've had a full complete night, but you know, they're going to need some of those younger guys, especially to step up when a guy like Estrada struggles, when a guy like Grant Nelson gives you almost nothing in the first half. Um, and it was kind of encouraging to see that, um, you know, especially, you know, a guy like Rylan Griffin, that was really fun to watch on Wednesday, just him step up and really find his confidence a little bit there in Coleman. That was a good, um, good button pushing by Nate Oates there too, I think, to kind of make that move and put him on the bench. And he's he's done that with some players over the years. Um, and usually it's a negative thing, like where the player didn't play well, so we're going to bench him. And I think there's probably some element of that because even Nate brought him into his office and said he didn't play well against Kentucky or against um, Tennessee and you need to play better going forward. We need you. Um, but I also think it was – you know, you, you want to bring him in and kind of provide that spark. And he did. He came in, I forget, a couple minutes into the game when exactly it was. And then he hits, I think it was his first four three-pointers that he made in the first half, four or four. So yeah. um, that was huge for him. Um, and, you know, does he hit those if he's playing right out of the gate and there's that long delay? I don't know. Like, sometimes it's just a little bit of magic coming off the bench when you're fresh and everybody's tired. But um, that was the right move from Nate and he's kind of mentioned too like maybe I keep doing that going forward and we'll have to see but um that that was another player that needed to to play better I think had some high expectations coming into this year as being a one of the best two-way players in the country I still think he can be I don't know if he's there yet and if he shows that he can shoot like he did then that's that's a big piece of that Next opportunity for Alabama this Saturday at home against LSU. Tigers struggling quite a bit recently. Three losses in their last four games. They did get a win over Ole Miss. Um, they lost to the same Auburn team at home. Lost to Georgia on the road. Um, Auburn was at home, I guess, in that matchup against LSU. This seems like Alabama just kind of needs to go take care of business. I don't know if you have any preliminary thoughts on this particular matchup to wrap up the show today. Yeah, I mean, LSU's obviously fallen off a little bit since the Will Wade Um disaster if you will the investigation <laughs> all that. yeah matt mcmahon i think put together a decent team last year mostly through the transfer portal with a bunch of murray state game uh, murray state guys that he uh, he brought with him um and so there's i mean there's still some names on here that are like man i don't even know where these guys came from but it's a, it's a portal team that they're trying to rebuild um and again coming into uh tuscaloosa's first pearl set after the game is, is a tough place to play so um, you know, you don't want to write them off, but I, I do think this is a, um, in terms of the winnable games under schedule, probably pretty high on that list. Yeah. Seems, uh, you know, one of those games where if they really do want to contend for the double buy, or really want to contend for the top of the conference. Um, you got to win these games. You got to go take care of business at home against a team that you should. Um, that's, uh, that's all I had for hoops talk, Mike, you got any other final thoughts before we sign off? No, I mean, I'm just looking at, uh, you know, the net resume for Alabama is, um, it's interesting how some of these things change. Neither of these teams played yesterday, Alabama and Auburn, yet they flipped. So Alabama was actually ahead of Auburn after Wednesday night's game. Um, and then so Alabama was seven and, Al or, and Auburn was eight. And then for some reason on Friday morning, it flipped. And now Auburn is seven and Alabama's eight. So it's funny how uh, how some of this works. Alabama's strength of schedule dropped one spot from number three in the country to number four whereas Auburn is number 105. And that's the thing. Auburn, just kind of like last year, too, or two years ago, hasn't played a lot of good teams or beaten a lot of good teams, at least. And um, they're still ranked up. They're still in the top 10 in the country, whereas Alabama's played some good teams. They've lost to them, 
and they were unranked. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where the polls are on Monday, assuming Alabama beats LSU, you know, I, they're definitely going to be ranked. Um, is Alabama ranked higher than Auburn? Is Alabama the top 20? You know, they go from unranked to top 20, they go unranked to top 15. Um, I mean, their net ranking is suggestive of, of being a top 10 team, but it's funny how these, this works sometimes. I, I voted in the AP poll the last two seasons. I, I'm not doing it this year, but, um, it it's just strange sometimes comparing the the numbers of it to the uh the eye test as as the polls are that'll uh that'll be interesting to monitor i'm still i'm i clear i i'm not gonna hide it i'm still learning my way around the college basketball world um so you know checking chem palm what does it tell me what does it mean um i, I grew up a math guy so i do appreciate chem palm's work there um there's a lot yeah, of math in college basketball there's no doubt about that that's hey, as long as you just tell me what specific numbers mean and maybe how to crunch the numbers a little bit, that'll I'll I'll, I'll be fine and I'll figure it out. Um, so I know this much about Alabama; they are going to score the ball, and we'll see what kind of defense it evolves into by March to see how far they could p- potentially go in the big dance. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good team, but again, I we'll have to see. Like I I don't know if I'm fully <laughs> convinced after Wednesday night's game. I don't think Nate Oates is either just based on what he was saying. So as the fun part about basketball is you play another game in a couple of days and things just kind of keep moving. You don't have to dwell one way or the other over what's going to happen after one game. Large sample size of data. Mike, we appreciate you always coming on to talk all Alabama sports, but especially hoops today, Alabama back in action on Saturday. I will be in the building providing coverage for Bama 247, but that's all we got on today's show. We'll circle back sometime early next week, talk a little bit more hoops, talk a little bit more football, kind of what uh, we'll see what kind of uh, tectonic plates shift over the weekend. In the meantime, though, be sure to rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, even our Bama 247 YouTube page. Subscribe to Bama 247 and 247 Sports. Believe we're still running a special I feel like we're always running a special 60% off VIP membership. I believe it comes out to about $43 for the entire year. You get football coverage. We got spring ball coming up. Um, I'm going to be at the senior bowl for a little bit next week. Uh, we'll, so we'll get some, you know, some potential early NFL draft stuff there. Um, always keeping an eye on the transfer portal. We'll have more football stuff. We'll have more hoop stuff to talk about. So you guys need to sign up right now. Take advantage of that great deal. You'll get more insight from me, Mike, and our recruiting expert, Brett Greenberg. Um, as always, we appreciate you guys listening and we will talk to you all again soon. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Rated PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.